from uh, Psalm 18. Psalm, 25, Psalm 18, beginning at verse 25, um, it, uh, if you look back at the title, it identifies it as a, a psalm of David addressed to the Lord um, on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Psalm 18, beginning at verse 25. With the merciful... You show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you show you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lights my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but Yahweh, or the Lord? And who is a rock? Except our God, the God who equips me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. And your gentleness made me great. You gave a, a wide path for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I see where Psalm 55 verse 10 comes from now. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, I'd like to turn to Matthew 11. Um, and read the end of the chapter there. Um, I'm going to read just a little bit of extra context. Verse 27 begins in the middle of the paragraph. I'd, um, so I have to make a choice between starting at 25 or 28. So we'll start at 25, but the text is 28, 29, and 30. So um, this is um, Matthew 11:25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And here's the text. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The uh, title for the message is uh, easily, (laughs) one would come to it quite easily, Rest for Your Souls. That's the title for the message this afternoon, Rest for Your Souls. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a famous hymn, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I had asked Rob to include it in the liturgy half-heartedly. I didn't really expect him to include it. To include the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It'd be kind of nice to, to sing that after the message. But it's a great hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. It, it gives very lovely expression to um, a passion and a concern and uh, a need that is in all of us, that it is well with our soul. It is a matter that the church is intensely concerned about when elders go on home visits and they may ask people in the home visit during, they may ask people in the family, how is it with your soul? It's the kind of question which elders might ask. Uh, When my my father told me this um, during the last days of his life. He, he was on his deathbed, and a, a very good friend of his came to visit him, and he just cut through everything, and he went straight to the point, and he said to my dad, how is it, my brother, with your soul? And he said that was just liberating. It was just awesome that he asked me that question so that I could speak to him about something that was intensely important to him at that very moment. So sometimes it's just such an important question. How is it with your soul? The question, how is it with your body? That's an important question too. Um, A person that's suffering from a physical pain, let's say, um, there are many conditions that would lead lead a person to feeling nothing but pain in their body, and so you ask them, how is it with your body? And that's an important question. They have to talk about that. But the question, how is it with your soul? that's, That's a much deeper matter. That's a much more important thing for us to give expression to. And Jesus Christ says that ultimately it is the issue that we have to be concerned about. We need to be able to speak about. How is it? with my soul. For Jesus says, do not be afraid of him who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Fear him instead who can kill the soul and the body in hell. 
So this is, a, this is an important matter. It is all the more important because there are many forces. This is what hell's purpose and Satan's intention is, is to disturb our soul and take away our tranquility and make it chaotic for our soul. Somebody's trying to take away our peace and tranquility. And so Jesus speaks in our text about something that's very important. And so I proclaim to you God's word under this theme, Christ Jesus calls us to come to him. And we'll see three things. We'll see whom he calls, and secondly, how he calls, and thirdly, the result of his call. And then we'll sing Psalm 55, verse 10. Cast on the Lord the cares that grieve you. And so we consider, first of all, whom he calls. There are some who labor very hard. Uh, sorry, I began that wrong. There are some that do not labor at all, and they seem to have everything. Consider the lily of the field. He neither it neither toils nor spins, and yet Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these, Jesus once said. They don't do anything, and yet they are gorgeous and delightful. Others, however, they can work very hard and get nothing for it. Like another story in the Gospel narratives about the, the fishermen who spent the whole night casting out their nets onto the, over the side of their ship and drawing in their nets and doing it again and again and again and catching nothing all night long. They worked hard and they got nothing for it. The common people in the land did not feel like they were to be compared to the lily of the field, but instead they might be compared to the fishermen who cast their nets again and again and get nothing for it. The Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, knows his flock. He knew their burdens were heavy. They were working hard, they were getting nowhere, and they were just about at the point of breaking. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ came at just the right time, at the fullness of time. And this may be just one more of the measures of fullness. It was the fullness of of emptiness. It was the fullness of meaninglessness. It was the fullness of absolute exhaustion. It was the fullness of trying something over and over and over for thousands of years and never coming an inch closer to earning the, the approval of God. And yet that may be, that is a condition which continues to this day to hound 
the souls of God's people. How is it with your soul? Do you feel burdened and weary? Do you work hard for a salvation that is very important but find no peace? Do you find yourself wondering at times what will happen to you when you stand before the judge? Will you be found wanting? The common teaching in the days of Jesus Christ was that everybody had to earn God's love. Leaders were teaching that in all kinds of ways. <clears throat> they had thousands of rules and regulations to, that a person had to follow in order to make things right with God. The religious leaders had systems designed to measure how severe their sins were and what their, what their condition was, what was the balance in their relationship with God, and, and what are... What are the, the things that need to be done in order to resolve that balance, in order to make it in their favor so that they could have hope to, to live with God forever again? The Apostle Paul had followed these regulations and these principles and these rules before he met Jesus Christ. He was, he was a leading Pharisee. And in his letter to the Philippians, he says... With respect to Pharisaic principles of, right, of righteousness, I had attained to the level of blameless. I was blameless. So that no blame could be attached to me, not even by God. Because I had followed these principles completely. But it wasn't working for the people. The weight of guilt upon their heart only got heavier and heavier as the days passed and the years accumulated. They only felt more and more distant from God. They only became more and more afraid of one day meeting God in the end. And they only became more and they only found it more and more difficult to pray to God and to ask him for mercy which he never seemed to want to give. And Jesus could see these things. He could see that the people were losing hope. He could see that their faith was joyless. He could see that the prayers they offered were not offered with an open and free spirit, but they were offered to a God that seemed distant and angry. He could see his sheep were tired and weary of a religion that only succeeded in making people afraid 
it is to these people that Jesus comes and he says, come to me and I will give you rest. So how are they going to get rest? That's our second point. How are they going to find rest in Jesus? The answer to that question is a bit surprising. Jesus says, if you want to find rest for your souls, you need to take on one more yoke. You've taken on the yoke of the religious leaders of the day. A little later on in chapter 23, uh, Jesus says, uh, observe what they tell you. Jesus is talking about the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees. In chapter 23, verse 3, he says, do whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. They preach, but do not practice. And Jesus identifies the scribes and leaders as sitting on Moses' seat. So respect them for what they are teaching you. Don't imitate them because I don't want you to become hypocritical. Hypocrites. So when Jesus comes and he says, you need rest, the solution that he offers is not to take the burden that's upon their shoulders that they are carrying now because the religious teachers were teaching them to keep the law of God. They, they, they were adding things to it, which Jesus obviously was not pleased about, but he wanted to honor their good teaching. And so Jesus is saying, you find your burden to be heavy and, and you find it to pinch. It's not an easy yoke to carry on your shoulders. You know, that, you know what a yoke is, I, I, I would hope or imagine. But presuming that not everybody knows, a yoke is something, it's a made of wood, and it's put over some, your shoulders. And um, one of the basic necessities of life in the ancient world was water, the provision of water, because uh, the running of water from one house to the next on water lines wasn't very common. So a regular part of your daily activity was going to the, to the well or to the lake in order to draw water for your family. You're always carrying water, carrying good water to the house and bad water away from the house. So uh, carrying heavy loads, especially water, on a yoke, was a really regular part of daily life. Yokes were also used for animals, but that's not really uh, in view here. So the yoke that they were using now, spiritually speaking, using it as a metaphor, a symbolic image to describe what's on their hearts and on their spirits or on their soul, the yoke that they were carrying pinched. It, 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 was, it, it hurt them. And they could not carry much of a load with it. And yet they had to carry heavy loads. And so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not telling you to throw it off. I'm telling you to take on one more yoke. Because Christianity and the ancient biblical faith is always a call to faith, always a call to do things that, quite a, that regularly don't make a lot of sense to us initially. Like God saying to Abraham, 
If you want to have countless descendants, then go kill your son, your one and only son, on Mount Moriah. Or to the slaves in Egypt, God says, if you want to have a better life, then I want you to go out into the desert, the trackless desert, and I will lead you to something better. And Jesus calls us to an act of faith, to take on the yoke of Jesus Christ and carry his burden. To, to bend the yoke, to sort of bend your neck under the yoke of another is a way of saying it's reflected in the language of the Belgic Confession, Article 27, for instance. It's a way of saying you have to accept another person's teachings. To say, this person is now my teacher, and I will accept what this person says, and I will do as this person teaches me. And so to accept the yoke of Jesus Christ means to accept his teaching. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and I am gentle and humble in heart. I want to reflect with you for just a moment on those two words, gentle and humble. It makes all the difference. I will accept his burden because he is gentle, and he is humble. He is gentle because he is a good shepherd who accommodates to his sheep. He doesn't become impatient with me when I, when I don't understand. He doesn't become intolerant of us because of our strange reactions and our, and our behavior. He doesn't become harsh with us when we fail. I think all of us remember those teachers in our early grade school who were gentle with us, who, who seemed to understand our weaknesses, our uniqueness, our, our strange habits. And, and, and they accommodated in a positive way when we failed to do the, our homework. We remember those who are gentle. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus says, I am gentle. And I am humble. Humble in heart. What that means is, he, he will do absolutely anything for us. He will even take off your shoes and your socks and wash your feet and rub your heels just to make you feel better. Because that's what he did for his disciples one time. And, and he'll do more. He'll go to hell for you. He'll do anything for you. If it would be beneficial for him to do something on your behalf, he'll just do it. He says to the Father, punish me, not them. 
Jesus is humble, that means he will never put himself first. He will always put you first. Because you're first in his heart. Uh, something the people, they felt like they were just a number. They felt like they were just so unimportant. The, the religious leaders called them the cursed crowd. But they're, they're important to Jesus. He'll do anything for them. He loves them. So he, he gives them a yoke that is not meant to make them more tired, more weary, the way the other teachers did. He says, come to me and trust me. I have shown to me, trust that I am gentle and humble. And you will discover that when you take my yoke, then everything will seem like it's light and easy. And that's the result uh, of the call of coming to Jesus Christ. It's the third point, the result. What Jesus taught in his ministry in his ministry of verbal teachings, but especially by his ministry of action and sacrifice, what Jesus taught the people during his ministry was stop trying to save yourself. You'll never do it. You will never be able to improve your relationship with God. It just won't happen. The only thing you will succeed in doing is creating more and more distance. Even if you follow all the principles of the religious leaders of the time, you will wear yourself out trying to accomplish something that cannot be done. Instead, If you want to get closer to God, if you want to be restored to your Creator, then come to me. Come to me because I am the way, I am the door. I will bring you to the Father. If you come to me, I will show him to you. And when I show you to the Father, when I bring you to the Father, then the Father will love you. Because the Father loves his Son, and he loves anybody that will create an attachment to Jesus. Anybody who, who has an allegiance to Jesus has the heart of his Father. And any parent will understand that kind of relationship when somebody loves your children, then they immediately have your attention. And if anybody loves God's Son, they immediately have God's attention. Because it's the only way for us to get into the, God, into the Father's presence and for Him to reach out a hand of invitation instead of a fist of judgment. And that's 
That's everything. That's everything that identifies Jesus as distinct from the religious leaders of the time. The Pharisees were teaching people the right things, you must obey the law of God. They were teaching them the right things for all the wrong reasons. They said we got to work hard in order to earn God's friendship, and Jesus says that's completely impossible. You can't do it. Jesus says, sure, you got to work hard. Being a Christian isn't a holiday. Being a Christian isn't throwing off all the yokes. Being a Christian under the leadership of Jesus Christ is hard work. Nobody demands more of us than Jesus. For he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you can't go to heaven. You have to do more than they do. And in that same group of teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus adds, be perfect. Like your Father in heaven is perfect. You can't have a higher standard than that. That's the demand that Jesus lays upon us. That's the burden, that's the yoke that Jesus lays upon us. He doesn't make our burdens all that much lighter, you might say. But he makes it easy for us. It's a comfortable yoke. It's not a a sharp, angular, squarish yoke that bites into your neck and chews into your shoulders and creates sores on on your arms because you're carrying heavy weights on it. It fits just perfectly because it suits us, because it's not a yoke that demands of us that we save ourselves. It's a yoke that says, come to me and trust me to save you, so that obedience to the law becomes a reaction, a response, an expression of our love to God because he has already shown to us his love in Jesus. The result is that we, are, we have an easy yoke. It fits easily upon our shoulders because we were designed, yeah, we were designed for obedience but we're especially designed for love. And when God makes that requirement of us to love and we begin to respond, we come to Jesus and we begin to love, and we show that we love by keeping his law, then that's easy, that fits so perfectly. The result is is that we are able to lift heavier burdens and pull greater loads. This is a yoke that makes you feel strong. Because when you come to Jesus, Jesus says, come to me, and when you do that, when you come to Jesus Christ, you come to the the great Savior who grants to us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does two things to us. The first thing he does to us is he fills us with a wonderful sense 
of oneness with, with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, he connects us to the Father so that, as Paul says in Romans 8, so that we are able to cry out to God, Abba, Father. We, 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 we have this intimate trust and dependency upon God. We cry out to him like a child. And so he, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does to us, when you come to Jesus, we receive his spirit, he creates this sense of safety. I am safe in the Father's love. I never, I never have to worry that he would toss me out. That it, that it would go badly for me. And so he gives me this certainty of safety in the Father's love. And the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he makes us strong. He, he enables us to do things that we otherwise are unable to do. We talked a little bit, a little bit about that this morning, too. He gives us a heart of flesh, and, and, he, and he removes from us the, the heart of stone. He recreates us in the image of Jesus Christ. He enables us to live according to the entire law of God. He makes us strong so that we can do our duty. He enables us to love with all our heart and all our soul and all our body, with our whole being. Just magnificent. And the result is, is that just like a, a pro athlete loves to jump or to throw or to run or whatever his athletic pursuit, so also you being restored by God's Spirit because you have come to Jesus. You will love. You will love to do your duty, to pull for Jesus to, to pull for God. And you'll say with David, with your help I can advance against the truth. With my God I can scale a wall. I can do anything. My enemies fall before me. Because it's God that's at work within me. He is the one making me strong and accomplishing his purpose through me. The yoke of Jesus Christ, then, it's just, it's good for your soul. And so how is it with your soul? Are you always confident of your salvation? Are you, are you always joyful to hear the gospel? Do you, do you always want to go to church? You're always full of energy to do what is good. Are you always ready to say no to every form of evil as it tempts your heart? Probably not. Certainly not true for me. And so come to Jesus. It will be good for your soul. Amen.